a discussion around the joys and the challenges and the encouragement of women in ministry with Reverend Anitra Jones-Stevens and Reverend Shannon Stringer on episode number seven of the To Be Encouraged podcast with Bishop Julius C. Trumbull. It's a fairly common experience for me to have a man in that meeting, usually somebody who has a good working relationship, who respects my work, who appreciates me, to interject and actually say what she means is. You are welcome to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. Bishop Trimble is on a mission to encourage you with the love of Jesus Christ so you can rise to your highest potential. On To Be Encouraged, Bishop Tremble speaks to a discouraged world with a good word on the pandemic, racism, the environment, human sexuality, and the state of the church with a focus on centering your life on the love of Jesus Christ. Has there ever been a more needed time for an encouraging word to our world? This is your time to rise to your greatest potential and to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tremble. This is the podcast where we speak with with Bishop Julius Tremble about things that he is encouraged about and wants to encourage you about. March is Women in History Month, and we are pleased to have as our guest here today two outstanding women in ministry in the Indiana Conference. Reverend Anetra Jones-Stevens is in responsibility as the Director of Diversity, Missions, and Justice Ministries in the Indiana Conference. And we is also are thrilled to have Reverend Shannon Stringer with us, who is Responsibility for Leadership Development in the, Indi- in the Indiana Conference. Both of these women have had outstanding careers with great accolades in mission and preaching and teaching and local, sh- local church leadership. We welcome everybody to the podcast today. Bishop, help us welcome our guest here today. Hey, greetings, beautiful people. We're so glad to have you. Looking forward to this conversation. I know others will be blessed uh, by your words and your wisdom. Thank you for inviting us. We're glad to be here. Glad to be here. Thank you, Bishop. Awesome. Well, I would just like to start in for a moment here, and then Bishop, you can jump in. But I uh, will start with uh, with you, uh, Shannon. Tell us a little bit about what you got you involved with, uh, maybe a woman who was inspirational to you to help lead you into the pathway of ministry. And I'm going to ask you a similar question, Anetra, then Bishop, I want you to jump in with what you have to say. I, uh, I grew up in the church. My mother was a, a faithful uh, church attender as a lay, lay person, but there were no female uh, clergy ever in my entire childhood or, or young adults. I don't have uh, a female role model uh, for a clergy woman until I was an adult. 
and it was when I was an adult. Uh, I had been a high school teacher for a long period of time already that I had my first female pastor. It was the Reverend Marilyn Gebert, uh, who pastored at Bethel United Methodist Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And in watching her minister, uh, that was when I began to wrestle with, is it even possible? Is it all right with God for a woman to be a pastor? Uh, I was 35 when I started asking those questions and I rapidly found other women serving like uh, Reverend Dr. Cindy Reynolds, um, the Reverend Kate Walker. Uh, these are, are women who served faithfully and over long periods of time in Indiana. And I began to watch them and pay attention to their fruit and, and to see how they served uh, and to ardently quest from God, what was God asking from me? And so it absolutely was in women who modeled what it meant to be a clergy person to me that opened the possibility of me ever even becoming a clergywoman. Well, naturally, I'd like to ask you basically the same question. Your start in ministry and particularly any women who were influential upon your, your track in ministry. Yeah. So um, being in church, I would see, um, I saw, women that had the title of associate pastor, um, but they um, they did a lot of the work in the church, but they were not paid. Um, and um, so they, they were on staff, but they were not paid. Other than that, I saw a lot of women preachers that would preach like women's teas, or, you know, you'd get to only really preach on women's day. And so I wanted to, uh, you know, when I felt God called me to preach, I went to seminary thinking that I was going to learn how to preach better and maybe I'd get more invitations to preach more women's teas, um, not knowing, you know, that God had other plans. And while in seminary, I attended the Jarena Lee Preaching Academy. And Jarena Lee is the first woman, um, African-American woman um, preacher in the AME church. And so she was just ordained um, posthumously. I think that's the right word. Just a couple years ago, she's been gone over a hundred years. Um, they just finally ordained her. So anyways, I attend this Jarena Lee Preaching Academy. This is when I was in discernment, wondering if God was calling me to the United Methodist Church or not. And I get here and I'm in a room of like 40 to 50 black women. And many of these women were senior pastors and lead pastors. And Reverend Dion Bossier, she is the chaplain at the Church Center for the United Nations. And these women were directors and they were tenured professors. And I had never seen such in my life, never seen anything like it. And I left the Jarena Lee Preaching Academy with my vision expanded of what God could do in my life. And that's when I said, I'm joining the United Methodist Church. I wanted to go, I wanted to be challenged. And I wanted to know that when I left seminary, I would have a job and be used as a woman in ministry. Um, so there were just so many women there. Dr. Uh, Valerie Bridgman is the Dean of Methodist Theological Seminary. And she is the uh, president of the Jarena Lee Preaching Academy and Woman Preach. She's a role model for me. We are so glad that you did Netra, and I'd like to just take a moment to congratulate you. And Netra has just been approved for ordination in the United Methodist Church, and will be ordained at our annual conference this year. We are thrilled, thrilled to have you as as a part of our clergy colleagues in this way. Well, that's awesome, awesome news there. 
Bishop, I know that you had some things you wanted to ask uh, both uh, Anetra and Shannon about. And interesting, these diverse experiences they've already shared with us, isn't it? It absolutely. It's, it's wonderful for us to hear the story. And I know that's only part of your story. Uh, this is Women His Women's History Month. I also think about some of the challenges. There's a compelling commercial I see now on television that holds up a man and then a woman and it talks about their two jobs. And then it says, the man says, but I get paid 80% or, you know, 100% and the woman gets paid 20% less and they both have similar credentials, the similar, similar jobs and so forth. There's still, there still seems to be inequity uh, in society and in the ministry. And I just want to open the open the uh, door and window if I if we, if we can just for some conversation around that. What where's the progress that we need to make uh, in terms of equity and and leadership and opportunity and justice as it relates to women in ministry and and women in society? Yeah. So. Um... Well, there is just a lot of work to do. I know that August 3rd this year is Black Women's Equal Pay Day. Uh, and so Black women historically make 62 cents for every dollar paid uh, to a white non-Hispanic man. And so uh, August 3rd, 2022 is the date. That's how much longer we have to work to catch up to the pay that... Uh, that white males receive. And so, um, yeah, so I'll be sharing about that. Y'all be hearing about that as we get closer to August, praise God. Um, but it's, it is still an issue. And, um, I, you know, I remember prior to, uh, prior to coming into ministry, working at a call center and I had been at this call center for three and a half years and I had worked every product in our company. I mean, I was familiar with every product. We had about seven products. I also uh, was our only bilingual customer service rep at that time because uh, I still had a lot of, of my Spanish. And so I went up for a job to be a team lead. And I went up against a white male who had only been at our company for three months. He had only worked on one product and he did not speak Spanish. And they took us through all these hoops. They created a whole new process to decide who they were going to pick. And then they had folks in a training class vote for who they wanted to be the next lead. And they voted for me. And my supervisor made an executive decision and chose the white male who'd only been there for three months, only spoke one language, had not worked all of the products. And um, for me, that was a time where I think I experienced um, uh, discrimination. And so it's still happening today. Sure. It, uh, it does still happen today, Natra. You're, you're 100% right. Um, the churches where I served as a senior pastor, even the ones where the outgoing male colleague had only been there a year or two years, it had been a very short turnaround. Uh, the salary that was offered to me was thousands of dollars less than the sa salary that had been offered to my colleague who had just left after a short period of time. Now, setting salary is complicated. 
And part of the complication is sometimes those salary adjustments have to happen because of the financial capabilities of the church. And so it's important for for me as a as a, a female clergywoman not to automatically read that as some sort of discrimination in, in that example as opposed to an address example. But it's also important for us as uh, church leaders to be aware of that discrepancy and to pay attention to helping to place women into churches that are financially healthy and that can support their ministry at the same level as their as their male colleagues. It's an, an important area. I would want to lift up the excellent work being done by Cosro. Cosro is the Committee on the Status and Role of Women, and uh, it is an area supervised by our friend Netra and Crystal Jacobson, who is the chair there. They're doing a lot of monitoring work about um, equity in the Indiana Conference between uh, our female and our and our male clergy colleagues. I don't know, Netra, if you if there's anything about Cosro's work you would particularly want to lift up. Yeah, well, I've I've been impressed by the work that Cosgrove has been doing. They monitored, I know, the last annual conference, looking at how much time women were speaking versus how much time um, men were able to speak. But also um, the work that they did with presenting to the cabinet um, what equity would look like and, and how many women should actually be serving in larger churches. And as a result of that work, um, I understand that appointments were made to help close that gap. And so um, Cosro is doing amazing work. Um, And I would also add um, at my previous appointment, um, you know, the leadership in the church really does make a difference because at at my previous appointment, without me having to ask, their SPRC brought up, they wanted to look at the equity and they were looking at the gap between my salary and the senior pastor and they did their own research and compared, they called other churches that were uh, of similar size, even of different denominations, and asked if they would share what their associates were making. Um, and because of that research that they did on their own, they gave me a really large increase mm-hmm. um, in a year's time to, to close that gap. So when, when given the opportunity, we can make a difference. So this is uh, one of the things I, I, I wonder if you might want to weigh in on, Brad. You may want to weigh in on this one as well. So we prepare for the Easter uh, uh, sermons that, that will be preached and we, we will preach. Uh, you know, we, we read the gospel accounts of, of the resurrection story, the crucifixion resurrection story. And there's often this ref, the reference to the disciples or the apostles or followers of Jesus. All of the gospel accounts uh point to the fact that women were the first to discover the empty tomb, Mary Magdalene and, and several counselors and the other women who were there. In fact, Mary Magdalene is often referred to as a, an apostle or a follower, a disciple of Jesus. So if disciples are followers of Jesus, do you think maybe we, maybe our theology has been somewhat truncated or skewed when we only think of the disciples as the 12 disciples and, and the one who replaced uh, 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 Judas, one Judas. I had a brain <laughs> freeze. One who replaced Judas, and and not think of of that. And even even in our biblical references, and I I have to confess, after all these years in ministry, I'm now, and, and I should have been doing much better because my wife has always been a voracious reader of women authors. That I looked back at some of my sermons, Brad, and saw how many references I made to to 
male theologians or commentary writers or, or, or biblical accounts that really uplifted primarily men and, and men characters in the Bible. So the last, since, since Black History Month was last month and this month, I've been continuing to just to intentionally look to more of uh, uh, authors and, and contributors who are women. Here's, a, here's, a, here's a, a quote. The most common way people give up their power is by thinking they don't have any. That's from Alice Walker. Uh, so any, anything you want to say about that? Yeah, I just want to thank you, Bishop. Thank you for, for asking such a great question. I have a short answer, and it is, I think we need to breathe wholeness back into the context and understanding of the scripture, and we can't do that with gender discrimination. It's, it's a, Jesus worked with a whole group of people, not just a certain type of people, and so we, we have to breathe a, a wholeness there. I like that. Hold on, so I'm going to use that. Thank you. Anetra? Yeah, so, you know, Bishop, you brought up Alice Walker, and I was going to say that I read um, a lot of womanist theology, um, and it's coined from um, Alice Walker is who ter- uh, coined the term womanist. And womanist is, um, it's basically black women who are, who, who do feminism, but, you know, feminism is more so focused on um, gender equality and gender issues. And so with womanist, we look at race, class, and gender. And with womanist theology, because we are committed to wholeness and to the well-being of all humanity, um, and we look at the text through the eyes of women, and uh, in particular, um, Black women as well, um, I preach on women a lot. I try to, and see... I hear a lot of I hear a lot of preaching from the women's perspective around um, Easter. Um, you know, I, I think about preaching my my senior sermon. I preached on Vashti, you know, Queen Vashti, and I totally humanized her. And my now husband, you know, he's apostolic. He said he he sat in the pews and he said, "What kind of heresy is this woman up here preaching?" Uh, but he ended up married me, so it wasn't that much heresy. But Vashti is a woman who's always been preached in a certain light, right? Um, rebellious, a woman that didn't do what her husband asked of her. You know, um, I grew up in churches where they said, if, if, if you are like Vashti and you, you know, disobey your husband, you lose your husband to Esther. Um, but I totally humanized Vashti because I, I love Vashti. So, um, yeah, I think we could do much better at uh, at preaching the women all throughout the biblical text. They're everywhere. Yeah. In their homes. And Dr. Will Gaffney, an amazing resource, Dr. Will Gaffney just released um, a women's lectionary, the year W. So there have been... Um, across denominations, um, they are using this new lectionary text and it's um, very feminine. So I definitely recommend uh, that lectionary. A leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but ought to go. That's a quote from Rosalind Carter, the former first lady. What do you think about that quote? Especially in the light of work we, we, work we've talked about, dismantling racism, breaking down barriers, um, what do you think about that quote? 
response from both of you, please. Well, Shannon is, you know, I was thinking about Shannon today. Um, during my Board of Ordained Ministries interview, they asked us um, who was a leader that you admire and would want to emulate. Um, and I said Shannon Stringer. Um, Shannon was also very instrumental in me being in the role that I am, that I'm in right now. Um, and I was comfortable in the church. I was comfortable. Shannon, I was comfortable minding my business. <laughs> um, but now I am in this role that is challenging, that is stretching, but it is because someone like Shannon saw in me what I didn't even see in myself. So had this job been posted, I would have never applied for it. Never in a million years, I would have felt unqualified. Um, but because of someone like Shannon, here I am um, learning as I'm going. So thank you, Shannon, for being the leader that you are. You're welcome. And, and you were called to this work. You're just gifted in this area. And it's clear, not just to me, but, but to everybody. I think a, a good leader figures out where people want to go and figures out how to get them there. Mm. I think a great leader helps people develop self-awareness. When Anetra talks about her IDI work, she's talking about helping people become aware of, of who they are right now and maybe who they really want to be and how to get to where they want to be. And, and a great leader opens the eyes of the people that they work with so they can see what they could be, what could happen, the impact that could emerge. And they want that for those people. And so I, I don't know that a great leader takes people where they don't know they need to go. I think a great leader helps people see where they could go uh, and to, to dream bigger. Uh, God-sized dreams are not just for people from scripture. Uh, God-sized dreams are for God's people now. We, we love and, and worship and are led by the same God that led Moses and the same God that, that meant Vashti and the same God that, that led all of our, our friends from, from Scripture. That same God speaks today. And, and a, a great leader helps people listen to those God-sized dreams and, and believe in the ability to go forth. Wow. Wow. Powerful, powerful. Powerful. A lot's been shared here about leadership and about opportunities, and that's great. And some of the challenges that are there. And if it's okay, uh, Bishop and Shannon and Anetra, I'd like to get personal here just for a moment. And I'll just put it in context of this, and uh, the term I hear once in a while from my wife, probably more than I want to. My wife's a very accomplished woman in the, in the legal field. And she says, uh, you know, Brad, are we having a mansplaining moment here? You know, where I don't get it. I don't get it. And I sometimes in a block, that kind of thing. I would like for you to share, uh, Shannon and Anetra, a moment when you had, uh, for lack of a better term, a mansplaining moment where somebody just didn't get it. And it could have been offensive or it could have been, you know, probably was offensive, but it could have been uh, uh, some sort of a moment that you could have gone either way. You could have gone, you know, in a destructive way. You could have gone a positive way. I'm interested in a moment you may have had regarding in ministry or something else and then how you handled it. So, so this happens a lot. Um, it's surprising to me that it still happens a lot to me um, because I am neither young um, nor unaware of my role, um, but it does still happen a lot to me. Um, I think one of the moments that leaps to my mind immediately has to do with conflict. When you're in a meeting and, and I'm having 
a conflict moment with another individual. We disagree with each other and they have said something and I have replied and, uh, and they're getting ready to say something back to me. It's a fairly common experience for me to have a man in that meeting, usually somebody who has a good working relationship, who respects my work, who appreciates me to interject and actually say what she means is, and literally mansplain to the person that I'm in conflict with, to the point that there have been several meetings where after the meeting, I have gone to the person that we we were having a, a, a conflict and said, I'd like to have a conversation with you after the meeting. And we sat down in my office together and I said, I felt like our conversation got interrupted and I want to hear you fully. And we continue to have the conversation. So mansplaining, not only do, do I notice it, but I have to do extra work and it takes extra time in order for me to create the relationship between the individuals when you're having an honest conversation in a meeting and you need to say hard things to each other. It's really important to allow us to continue that conversation and not to intercede for me. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a thing. <laughs> it sounds exhausting as well. I, I, you know, I really appreciate where it comes from most of the time. So most of the time, I think the person who is interjecting themselves there into that spot wants to smooth things over and um, wants to represent for me. I just don't need them to represent for me. And so I'd appreciate if they would. Shannon gave a really great example of that. Um, I think we we encounter it so much, um, you know, even I think amongst um, husbands and, and male family members, uh, it even happens um, at home. But, you know, I don't know if this is an example of mansplaining, but I remember sitting at um, being at a um, at a meeting um, and um, talking about serving on another board or committee. And the man uh, turned to me and asked, well, when you served on that committee, were you invited or did you apply? I said, well, I, I, I was invited to serve on the committee. Well, did they really feel that you had something to offer or did they bring you on as a token? Um, and so I don't know if that's mansplaining or if that's just plain condescending and, 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 and racist. Um, but I, I had an experience of being at a meeting where a certain male continued to disrupt the meeting and direct questions towards me that had to do with, um, I would say that had to do with race. Um, happening in a way and the reason I would say mansplaining is because you've had a black man present the entire time that you could have asked some of these questions, but you wait until a black woman gets in the room and then you ask me uh, some of the most condescending questions. And so it shows up in a lot of different forms, um, but the constant interrupting that we experience, um, it is very exhausting. I wonder, could you speak to in that meeting, what would have been helpful to you? for the other people who noticed that? What would have been, been helpful to you? For me, it would have been helpful if others would have spoke up. So um, I was in that meeting. There's other women in the meeting. There's another African-American in the meeting. Um, and I was clearly attacked. Um, that's the way that it felt. Um, but no one really spoke up. So he did not know, I don't know if he knew in that moment that he was wrong, 
and that he was out of order. Um, and he needed to know that in that moment, I felt like. Um, and so although I was able to push back in a very gentle way, because I was a new representative for the conference and representing my bishop, so I was on my best behavior, praise God. But um, it was a painful experience. And I remember leaving that meeting, getting into my car, and I just cried. I just cried. Um, and I called my boss, Larry Whitehead, and um, we had a really great conversation. Um, but no one defended me. And, the, and it was clearly an attack. It was clearly racist. It was clearly sexist. This goes back to all of our committees um, needing specific training around like the IDI work that we were talking about previously, that, that awareness and also training around um, issues of um, diversity uh, and inclusion and, and bias. And I think that um, my hope is that all of our different uh, leadership um, areas of leadership and ministry areas, our organizations, everything related to INUMC um, would engage in that type of work. Thank you. Thank you. This has been, this has been rich. And um, I, I want to close by, uh, again, quoting a great leader who was United Methodist for 20 years as a college president. Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune made the most of her remarkable ability to inspire young people to dream their own dreams. At the graduation exercise each year at Bethune-Cookman, she would say the same thing. Faith ought not be a puny thing. If you believe, have faith like a giant and may God grant you not peace, but glory. Very similar to what I heard you say a few minutes ago, Shannon. Yes. That we could dream big dreams uh, and our faith, have faith like a giant. That's a great story. And I I, I, I remember Mary McLeod Bethune was one of the few people that we seemed like we did hear about. There's so many, uh, so many uh, powerful African-American women in history that we, we don't hear their stories. And um, she was, she was United Methodist. Well, and what a what a great encouraging uh, word to share with us, Bishop. And I certainly have been encouraged by our conversations here today with Anetra Jones Stevens and with Reverend Shannon Stringer, Reverend Anetra Jones Stevens, and with Bishop Julius Tremble. And uh, I just think it gives us a lot to consider and to think about whatever perspective we come at in ministry. And we celebrate uh, women in ministry here on Women's History Month. And we move uh, forward in faith. An encouraging uh, uh, word here. Bishop, any final words before we close? I thank God for the witness of these powerful uh, women clergy who serve in the Indiana Conference. Uh, and I just pray that others who hear about that, we remember that, you know, preachers and pastors don't come from heaven directly. They come out of congregations. And uh, sometimes churches are saying, you know, where do the pastors come from? They come from churches. Congregation. So I hope that our churches, uh, lay people who hear this podcast and clergy, we will continue to encourage people to listen uh, for the call to ministry and to remember there are people close by who can mentor you and model for you what excellence in ministry looks like. Awesome. 
We thank you for being our guest today. This is the To Be Encouraged podcast with Bishop Julius C. Treble. Our special guests today have been Reverend Anetra Jones-Stevens and Reverend Shannon Stringer. Consider yourself encouraged and appreciated for listening to Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. Now, please share the blessing and encourage others in your life to listen, to be encouraged. You can do just that by pointing your people to the website tobeencouraged.com. That's T-O-B-E-E-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E-D.com. Or connect through Apple Podcast where you can follow, rate, and review To Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. When you do that, you're doing your part to bring a good word to a discouraged world. Remember to listen next week to Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. And never forget, God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it.